Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm Paula Thomas, the founder of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today's show is hosted by my colleague, Amanda Cromhout, the founder of Truth, an international loyalty consultancy firm based in Cape Town, South Africa. If you work in loyalty marketing, make sure to join Let's Talk Loyalty every Tuesday, every Wednesday, and every Thursday to learn the latest ideas from loyalty experts around the world. Hi, I'm Amanda Cromholt, and I'm so excited to join you today by hosting my first Let's Talk Loyalty podcast, following on from Paula's three-year success of the show. So today I'm welcoming Peter Twine. He's general manager of the My School, My Village, My Planet program. Those who don't know this phenomenal loyalty brand, I'd just like to confirm it's a multi-award-winning loyalty program, both in the International Loyalty Awards and the South African Loyalty Awards. And kudos to Peter himself, also as the leader of the My School, My Village, My Planet team, which won Best Loyalty Team at last year's South African Loyalty Awards. It's a multi-partner program with over 8,000 educational, charity and environmental beneficiaries. The My School program hits both the emotional as well as the transactional triggers for loyalty members. That really is something that most loyalty programs aspire to achieve. So hello, Peter, and welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. Hi, Amanda, and it's a great privilege to be participating in this podcast and I'm really looking forward to it. So I don't think there's any necessary introduction to the South African market, but to everyone internationally, I'm talking today to Peter Twine. Peter is the general manager of My School, My Village, My Planet. And Peter and myself have had the privilege of working together many years ago when I was working at Woolworths, South Africa. But to actually have you talking on the podcast is a real treat. So I'm going to kick straight off with the, the famous first question of Let's Talk Loyalty. Peter, what's your favorite loyalty program? Amanda, I'm going to answer this in a roundabout way. It's always good to understand what favorite means to a person. And for me, a program needs to connect to me personally in a way that it talks to me emotionally, but also transactionally from a value perspective. And I sort of chose two programs, one that I've uh, carefully looked at over the years, which is the GEMS Rewards Program in the UAE. And I've always been amazed that I always think that they've copied my school a little bit, but uh, they've really done it well. And I think they've really gained good penetration in that market and a really nice value proposition with a great purpose. And that's always something that I look at. The second program is, uh, again, a little bit biased. It is my banking program, the Standard Bank U Count. And although it's not the simplest of programs, if you understand how they've created the value proposition and you build your structures, and as good loyalty practitioners, we always deep dive the real intent of the program and what will give us the greatest value. Once you've actually done that, the value equation that I always look at, the effort versus reward, is quite good. So I would say for me, the two that really stands out uh, in the market, both uh, in South Africa and in Africa, and Middle East would be the to the GEMS Rewards Program and the Standard Bank U Count. 
Thanks, Peter. That's so awesome to have such extremities, actually, because one is much more transactional and in the financial services South African market. And the other one is, as you say, quite similar to the sort of concept of your own program um, and international. So that's absolutely super to have the contrast. So I don't mind you choosing to. That's a good start. So um, I think before we get going, I mean, as I said, you and I had the privilege of working together for a few years. Um, please, can you share with everybody your your background that's led you to the position you're in now, your loyalty background? Yes, Amanda, I would gladly do this. Uh, I started in retail in the early 80s. And in the late 90s, we were already starting to look at how do we use data effectively. And I made use of research data extensively to put commercial properties together and also the kind of catalogs that we would utilize in the Woolworths business from a retail perspective. But we realized very quickly that just having financial services data, research data wasn't adequate. So this led us into the first loyalty trials within South Africa with the Woolworths business in the early 2000s. And uh, we started with a extensive search across the world, working very closely with many business consultants uh, of the top companies in the world and really understanding what made loyalty work and what makes a sustainable loyalty program. I've also then had the privilege in 1999 to be uh, asked to work on the first community loyalty program in South Africa, which was then just called Purely My School. Yeah. But through the years, it's really been evolving. And through many iterations of the loyalty programs in Woolworths, but also with my school, we kept on looking at how do we make it better for the business and how do we make the value proposition stronger for the consumer. And in 2010, we launched in South Africa the first non-points retail program. And that was called W Rewards, the one that me and you were both involved in. Uh, yeah, I remember it fondly. Of, <laughs> at the start. And it was really based on the concept of instant savings or what I would call member pricing as well, but really giving that instant gratification to the consumer that they can see that what their swipe is doing is actually giving them value back into their pocket. And it's not something that's delayed and needs to be aggregated over time. So it was a real first. It was also a big challenge because most of the programs in South Africa up until that stage were point-based and progressive rewards that gave you a voucher every quarter. And that was what the consumer were used to at the time. Yeah. But what, yeah. we, what we also did, I think what was quite unique in the W Rewards program is what I call the first get and give. And that was the first time that a person could actually earn benefit for themselves, but at the same time, make a contribution towards a, a charity or a cause. And that's where the My School combination came in to W Rewards as well. So yeah, over the years, lots of learnings on actual programs. And then uh, another key uh, for me that is really standing out was the ability to participate with the International Loyalty Awards judging that happens in London. And I've done that, I think, from the second or third year of the awards running. And that, for me, always is such a brilliant place to learn 
and to see what is really, truly working across the world. And then obviously you work with a network of judges that are top in class and you constantly just learn so much of loyalty and also different perspectives on loyalty. So for me, it's always a passion. I always draw through whatever comes through, like the podcasts, like the ongoing subscriptions that you get on loyalty. So it's an ongoing learning journey for me on the world yeah. of loyalty. Yeah. That's great. And actually, you're absolutely right. We're still co-colleagues, so to speak, as co-judges on the International Loyalty Awards. So still lots for us to talk about every day. And you're right. I'd forgotten, actually, that at the time when we launched W Rewards back in 2010, it was one of the first member differential pricing programs, whereas now they're everywhere, so to speak, and extremely well understood and popular in this market. So um, at the time we were, uh, Woolworths was the first to break through with that. So thanks for reminding us about that. So I think, Peter, um, the whole purpose today really, as well as to get to know you a little bit better, is to understand the concept of the phenomenal program that you're the general manager of, which is the My School, My Village, My Planet program. Tell us a little bit about it. And then if you could lead into something that you and I shared together was the evolution of that into from just my school into my village and my planet. Thanks, Amanda. Yes, the, the program started in 1997, really focusing on education and really helping schools to raise funds in a sustainable way to ensure that teaching happens effectively. And very simply, parents could actually take up a MySchool card, swipe it at a multi-partner uh, program where there are different complementary partners, and each of those partners would give a percentage back of the turnover made by that supporter back to the cause or the school that was chosen by that parent. And it really touched on something powerful. And I remember in the days back in 1999 and 2000, having many conversations with the board and just talking about the closeness and the importance of the relationship between a parent and a child. And there is no parent that won't give his child or her child the absolute best and go to great lengths. And we started with a real startup business uh, with an internet buffoon that worked in America many years, a parent actually at a school uh, who started this program. And myself and a few other people got involved, worked with them quite closely, and eventually made the program a real success in the educational space. But what we realized quite soon is that after kids leave uh, school, those parents were sort of lost to the program. And when we segmented and analyzed our customer base and also our big major partner base, we actually understood two things, that we really had two groups of consumers, consumers that were really interested in children and community upliftment causes or NGOs, and then the other a segment really people that are very interested in animals and the environment and animals in general, wild and domestic. And that sort of led us to the, the development of the program into what we call the My Village, which is around communities and causes. Yeah. And also the animal component. Now, today we have over 8,000 beneficiaries on the program or causes and schools. Wow. And, 
And there's truly something that will matter to each of our consumers. There is so many things that are close to people's hearts, be it disabilities. Uh, I always um, like use one that I know you also uh, were part of initially, which was Operation Smile. And through the program, we've actually done 153 corrective surgeries to date. And that was purely through people selecting to support that cause and give back. And it's changed the lives of not 153 children, but 153 families, because that lives of those individuals as a whole were changed to the positive. So it's yeah. really just uh, fantastic stuff that the program has done to date. Peter, that's so awesome that you've managed to like bring it to life so clearly with the Smile Project Smile. But as you say, that's one of 8,000 beneficiaries. But the fact that one of 8,000 beneficiaries has changed the life of the families of 153 beautiful children, I just think it's so special. And that's just one part of my school, my village, my planet. So I think anyone listening to this will be absolutely in awe of the difference it can make. And as you say, if you're a parent, nothing means more to you than your children. And if you're a dog lover, nothing means more to you than your, your faithful hound and so on. And the list just continues. So thank you for sharing that with so much sort of clarity over how the part, the multi-partner program is uh, spending its, its well-earned funds to make a lot of difference in the lives of so many. So a little bit away just from the program that you manage, Tell us a little bit in your views as a leader in the loyalty industry, what are the trends you're seeing in the industry? I think there's, uh, Amanda, a number of trends that are coming out. There's the, the real basics that we all know, which is through big data and AI, the whole focus on hyper-personalization and really being focused on the relevant content and offers delivered in a seamless, uh, easy way to the consumer. And those are the basics that I think many of us are still struggling to get right. But that is definitely still very clearly one of the things that are important. I think another key focus is also the fact that uh, having loyalty integrated into a single app. And when I refer to that, I'm going to use the example of the Standard Bank banking app, um, the Woolworths app and the GEMS app are just examples where you are able to actually engage with the brand completely from end to end, from looking at content to actual shopping to changing your consent uh, on the website in real time, in the My School world, being able to change your cause that you support or the three causes that you support in real time. Those things are quite critical that the act of engaging with the brand and with the program is centrally controlled through the main app that is offered by the business or the brand. And I think yeah. that will continue to grow. Um, another key thing that I think what we're picking up quite extensively and also a piece of work that we work with all the time is to really define when are consumers actively engaging with the brand versus we just doing the transactional swipe and getting the benefit that comes with that. That the full process of choosing the brand is not upfront. And to use an example, we've recently done a study. And again, at the My School, My Village, My Planet program is not a program that puts money back into your pocket. 
And for that to actually drive a change in behavior, one of the research stats that we looked at was that over 70% of the customers were likely or very definitely going to consider who they give back to as a community um, when they make that shopping trip, where they're going to be shopping and what they're going to be doing. And that sort of links me to the last um, trend that I want to mention, and there's many more. I think it was was Dr. Phil Pillay that spoke to Paula a while ago around the three levels of uh, loyalty. But the two that stands out for me is really around emotional loyalty and community loyalty aggregating into a change in behavior with transactional loyalty. I think the days are gone when we think that transactional loyalty are strong enough to stand on its own. People are expecting more, especially after COVID-19, where businesses were asked to be far closer to their communities in which they trade and to be far more actively involved. And I think loyalty programs need to take that into account as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and uh, you know, just going back full circle to the brand that you're the general manager of, I mean, there's nothing more emotional than signing up to the My School, My Village, My Planet program. But yeah, some of the other things you said there, Peter, that I really just want to highlight back to our listeners is, you know, just that single app experience. You know, I remember in the earlier days when we were developing loyalty programs in all sorts of different markets, there was sort of a determination to have a single app just for the loyalty program. And it, it just doesn't make sense. It's, it's critical, as you say, that it's fully integrated into the main reason I have the app in the first place, which is to interact with the brand that I'm transacting with. And then through the loyalty program, that emotional connection can come through as well. So, um, and you're right, a lot more programs are doing that much more successfully now than we would have seen a few years ago. So interestingly, you didn't talk about tiers. So I know from my experience in the South African market that the program, my school doesn't have tiering per se. So what are your views around tiers? Because the W Rewards program, which is obviously in the Woolworths environment, does have tiers. So tiers or not tiers, what's your view on that one? I think it's always a very good question. And I think different industries and different markets have different needs. And I think if a sector is really driving simplicity, transparency, and a straightforward loyalty program, then do not go with tiers. If your target audience are not going to be able to understand the complexity that come with tiers or tiering, don't go that route. It needs to be kept effectively simple that when I'm swiping, I'm gaining something. Mm. But when your market is uh, competitive and there is clearly headroom in your target audience to consolidate spend and the travel industry is very much one of those, Uh, the food industry is another Where there's an ability to consolidate and you can put a value proposition together for your VIPs that is really top end and your VIPs and people can aspire to get there and will allow many of your consumers to consolidate their spend and achieve that tier status, then my view is always do it, but make sure that it's still not overly complex. And I'm definitely always leaning towards a tiered program that has at least got two tiers. 
towards growing that spend over time and that the, the consumer can truly see the benefit of it. And when we talk about innovation later on, I do think that there is within that VVIP sector things that we can do to really make it such a great retention tool for a business. But for that, for that you do need tiers. It's a bit of an oxymoron sometimes, I think. The tiering or tiers and simplicity, as you say, it's it's difficult for programs to keep that simple, transparent approach when tiers are introduced. So if a brand is achieving that in its loyalty program to have simplicity and tiering that makes sense, um, it's a real win because I'd say nine times out of ten, they 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 tend to contradict them, themselves. So you know, all kudos to the brands that are managing to have tiering with a simple and understandable approach. So completely agree there with what's, you know, what you're saying. And it's interesting when I said, what are your thoughts around tiers or no tiers? A lot of loyalty operators find sometimes running a loyalty program quite painful. So they could be referring to the tiers streaming out of their eyes <laughs> <laughs> rather than the, the tiered system. Um, so, so Peter, you've been in this industry for a while. I'm not going to name the number of years because I think that's going to give both of our ages away. But so what would you say has been the biggest problem uh, in in terms of loyalty that you've ever had to face up to? Amanda, I think the problems also comes along with the maturity of a program. I think uh, one of the most important things at a startup loyalty program when you first embark on that is always uh, C-suite ownership for the program. If your main board are not part of the reason and the owners of taking on a loyalty program, it very quickly becomes just an expense. And I think if the establishing of a loyalty program is owned right across the business, it takes away a lot of the challenges that you have in continuing to run an effective loyalty program. Because I think if we look back over the last couple of years as to the importance of loyalty programs in our consumer needs when they were cash strapped and especially in South Africa and I'm sure across the world and loyalty programs played a bigger and bigger uh, role in the lives of consumers. But it also remains a very expensive marketing exercise for most businesses if it is not built and structured correctly. So the first thing I always say when looking at a loyalty program with any loyalty a uh, practitioner in another business is to say, what are the ownership for the program at board level? And are they truly aligned with what needs to be achieved through the program? So that always is the first question that I look at. The second question that I always look at is, what are the intent of the loyalty program? What is the purpose? What is it going to do to actually add value to the business and to the consumer. And if that is all in place, then it's often just the value that you can generate back from the data, from the insights so that your commercial partners are always willing to invest into your program. And a lot of that comes under pressure when they can't see the return on investments that they're making. And that often allows the program to become unstuck and to become less valuable. Yeah. One of the 
competitive programs in South Africa, and we've come, uh, we've spoken about them before, is around again preferential pricing, believing so strongly in your program that you put all your promotions as part of your loyalty program. Now that takes real courage to do that because you're actually taking the intent right out from the board space to say, we will do our promotions in a way that only our members can get it. And that is a very bold move, but a very strong message that is sent through your business. And that opens commercial doors, both for your uh, commercial partners in the business, but also your suppliers. So really sourcing the deals and really getting great value for your consumers is what a, a good loyalty practitioner will do. And that often means a very fine balancing, uh, I don't want to call it a trick because it's not a trick, but a balancing yeah. act between what you bring back into the business from a return on investment versus what you're giving to the consumer to sustain their support in the longer term. And I think that's always one of the biggest challenges is to sustain support in the business with your commercial partners, but also provide enough value to your customers that they keep engaging with the program and keep supporting the business. So those would be my key ones that I would would flag to anybody that asks. You're absolutely right. It's that that seesaw balance between commercial return and consumer happiness at the end of the day. And it's something that we absolutely have to follow. Otherwise, either side, if it's weighted incorrectly, can just sink the proposition or sink the balance sheet. So um, I loved what you're saying there, Peter, about C-suite buy-in. And then um, I loved the bit as well, because it brought back many memories for many clients we've worked, uh, Truth has worked with around, you know, how much confidence have you got to put your loyalty pricing into what percentage of promotions um, that are available in the store, if you're talking about a grocery store environment. And I know that kind of discussion can wreak absolute havoc with buying teams and, um, you know, just the whole change away from traditional grocery retailing into more customer centric approach. And it takes enormous change management as, as, as you're indicating, and that change management starts at the top of the organization. So no question about that. I mean, personally, along your journey as a loyalty professional, what has been the most almost personal lesson that you've learned throughout all of this? I think the most personal lesson is to be very clear on the loyalty intent and purpose. And I think you can't be ambiguous. You need to be very specific. And you can't also try and please everybody in the business when you design your loyalty program. You need to be able to be very clear with the intent, how it's going to work, what it will bring back into the business, and the duration of time that it will take to pay back the investments that you've made. And I think being very clear that you don't overcommit and that you set realistic targets because I remember once in W Rewards, we set a target of acquiring a million customers in a single year. And I know some other uh, programs have done that significantly shorter than a year in recent times. But in the traditional acquisition channels, setting a target of a million rand, I think, uh, not sorry, a million rand, a million new members was a 
decision made in a moment and then said, why can't you do that? And then a good challenge is always for a practitioner, but then let's get it done. And I think that was a bit of blood, mm. uh, sweat and tears for that year. We eventually achieved it, but don't overcommit and be very clear on what you will deliver in the time and make sure that it's realistically achievable. And I think that was a, quite a tough lesson uh, with lots of tears and sweat that went into that achievement. And that's eye, tears out of your eye in that case, not, <laughs> not loyalty <laughs> tears. We managed, to, we managed to get both of them in the story today. Um, <laughs> that leads me, Peter, to a sort of killer commercial question, actually, around um, going back to my school, my village, my planet. I mean, what are the sort of key, key KPIs that you measure your success against? Is it in membership volumes? Is it in engagement? Is it in transaction values, incrementality? Share with us as much as you can the KPI approach you take for a program such as my school. Yeah, Amanda, it's quite, uh, it sounds simple. One is a little bit more tricky, but I think because uh, the My School, My Village, My Planet program on the loyalty continuum, it is actually a fully fledged business. And the bulk of our revenue are paid back to our causes and our schools, which leaves you a very small bit to run the business. So one of our first things that we look at always is to say, how much are we growing spend at our partners? Because spend drives the revenue that we receive from our partners, which is our second indicator, uh, that we again have the ability to pay out to our beneficiaries. So the two general things that you will find in any commercial business is, are you driving revenue? Are you getting enough income? Then we look at running our business really tightly because we are a fundraising business. So we always look at cost to sell, uh, the very basic elements. And then when we get to the CRM measures that we look at, we obviously have NPS, uh, and we generally have really good NPS scores. We have customer effort scores that we measure every year and look at how much effort does it take a customer to change her details, to update her causes that she's supporting, or even just signing up to the program. So all of those effort measures in terms of how a customer would experience the program. And then one that is more recent that I'm this is the third year that we're doing it, is a measure that we call active customer engagement. And that really measures the customer's engagement beyond the swipe. And the aim is to really, I don't want to say own, because I don't think any loyalty program or brand can ever own the head, the heart, and the actions from the body all the time. But how much do you really own brand time in the consumer's mind that actually translates into action that is not just a swipe, meaning that they're participating in your communication, they are participating in events, they are supportive on the social media side. And those are measures that I think we all try and work towards to drive real true engagement with a brand or with a program. And I think that for me is one that always stands out as newer and probably the most difficult to do sustainably well. 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, I've just written it down. Head, heart and action. How powerful is that? Well, I'd love to see, you know, another discussion for another day, like actually understanding the measurability of that. But that's uh, super powerful, Peter. Thanks for sharing that. Remember, everyone, head, heart and action. <laughs> love it. OK, um, so you've obviously you've talked a little bit about earlier about the C-suite engagement as one of the sort of biggest challenges in in the roles that you've you've worked through in your loyalty career. And I touched on like how that would lead to the change management requirements and so on. So a program such as my school is a program like everybody loves because it's for a good reason. But um, how do you communicate the importance of some of those KPIs you've shared with us on an internal level? Because you, as you say, you've got a business called My School, a village planet, which sits within a bigger business of Woolworths, which is an incredibly sophisticated, large retail organization. So how do you go about that internal change management and communications? Madness, it's, some days it's easier and in other ways, it's really extremely difficult. And I think it is always the constant need to show value to a commercial business. Uh, through acquiring new customers, being able to show that they are increasing their spend at a specific partner and that the investment that is being uh, made by that partner or the business into the program is ROI positive. And a lot of that comes with a lot of deep analytics. And we do that not every year, but every couple of years, we sit down and do a deep analytic piece of work and that we actually share with all of our partners. The other more simplistic approach that we work with is to really work closely with our business partners around commercial promotions and really driving uh, our supporters or customers to that business. And because we are tracking the transaction spend and we have history of that uh, spend over years, we are also able to share that back into the business partner and say, in this promotion, we brought you a couple of hundred thousand extra customers into your store over the campaign period. This is what they normally would have spent, and this is what they did actually spend. And because we're able to do that kind of on a, a regular basis, you're building trusted relationships with your business partners where they are investing and also trusting that you have their brand's best interest at heart. And because it's linked to emotion, it cannot just be emotion. It has to translate into action, as I've already said. So meeting with the stakeholders on a regular basis, keeping your C-suite uh, director level up to date on how are the business doing, what is actually happening against our set uh, targets that we've agreed with the business up front, and then keeping them up to date. We also meet on a quarterly basis with uh, the EXCO representative, which is always important. And in that case, we, we basically look at the commercial drivers, but we also show some of the projects that the funding has actually made possible. And I think that is an important thing because every business, when we started with my school back in 1999, uh, when I first got involved with it, two years after it was started by the startup founder, that was the time of the triple bottom line. 
you know, your financial bottom line, your social impact, as well as your environmental component. And today we call it something different in Woolworths, the good business journey. In other business, it's it's called sustainable, say sustainability index. And there's a whole lot of these things. And what we do show and bring into every commercial discussion is also the other side of the coin. What yeah. did the money do that you contributed to uplift the broader economy in that community that was invested in through those projects? Because it is a circular economy. If the, uh, the community yeah. gets uplifted, they spend more money at the partner, and ultimately everybody benefits. But if the one part is not being done successfully, both parties will suffer in the longer run. And I think that's always something we look at is combining both the hard commercial with also the CSI upliftment projects that results in people being uplifted and becoming customers in time. And I think that's always important. Yeah, and I think knowing your program as well as I do, um, you do have a step up on everyone else in the ability to be able to show that the CSI side of it, because ultimately at the end of the day, that's the big difference you're able to make across all your different beneficiaries. So what a great position to be in as long as you can keep showing the incrementality and performance. So uh, super and what a privilege to be able, for you to be able to showcase that internally in your business. You mentioned earlier about innovation. So, what um, you know, what springs to mind for you when you you think about innovation of either things that you've done recently or things that you can share with us that you're about to do that you know is going to help change change your program or help change the landscape in loyalty. Yeah, Amanda, I think there's again the basics, and I view them as basics. Uh, having over eight thousand beneficiaries available that a customer can choose to support via our app, uh, having signed up within under a minute, having a virtual card available, and the ability to change your uh, causes that you support real time. That's automatically uh, implemented in the back end. And that for me is always an important factor is the ability to update your data, create real um, accurate information and we always look at that but from an innovation perspective personalized giving uh, that we've been doing for almost 25 years now uh, is critical and it allows people to truly support what matters to them i think the things that is really for me where the next level of personalization and relevancy will come from is allowing your best consumers your VVIPs and VIPs to shape their rewards proposition around their own needs. And yeah. we started uh, a couple of trials around this a couple of years ago to look at how do you change the proposition that you are able to allow, like what we do, uh, let them choose what they want to be giving back to, let them also choose in how they want to be rewarded by. And I'm yeah. really talking more deeply than just a category in an app that says groceries. No, I don't want that. I want to be able to say in category groceries, I want you to reward me with that 
very specific upmarket coffee all the time. And really bringing that relevancy and personalization into the choice. And with AI today, there's no reason we shouldn't be able to get there. And that for me, nobody is doing that really effectively and sustainably uh, in the industry, yeah. not in South Africa, nor what I've seen uh, in the world. The other two areas that really drives a huge amount of innovation and has been driving it for a while. So it's not yet what I would call a basic. It's still quite new for most programs, which is around subscription loyalty. And in a continuum of loyalty, I think that is the journey that you will take to become a fully fledged independent business or at least a profit center. And for me, that is something that I think is still underutilized in South Africa and is just starting to uh, take place within the banking sector and a few other places as well. So definitely that section. And then the, the other one around gamification. Uh, gamification for me with purpose is always to drive greater engagement but also to have greater value being contributed back to your customer that are taking time to participate and grow. And I think we've seen some really fantastic gamification solutions that have driven loyalty, but I think we're still at a young, young stage in the development of that component. Fantastic. Thank you very much. As you say, yeah, um, I think gamification has really started to sneak through in South Africa, but isn't a major part of the propositions and um, subscriptions. As you say, there are a few brands doing it well and have been doing so for a long time, but very dominated in financial services. Um, a big opportunity in the rest. A little bit of QSR as well is coming through. We see, but I do see some real ideas that we this market could follow follow with. So I want to conclude, Peter, that we've had such an incredible discussion. And my last thing I want to just ask you, if you wouldn't mind, is I know you have a very special um, celebration coming up soon for My School, My Village, My Planet, a big 25th birthday celebration, which is absolutely an enormous milestone. So can you share a little bit about that to everybody? And then we can we can draw the interview to a conclusion. Yes, Amanda, thank you. And that's uh, firstly, thank you to yourself and to Paula for this opportunity. Uh, the My School, the educational arm of the program, uh, celebrates on the 27th of September. We have an event. Uh, the real date is the 30th. But we celebrate uh, having given back into our communities, into upliftment, well over 900 million rand to wow. organizations that needed it to make a difference in South Africa. And I, I shared one example of Operation Smile. There are many, many big, massive uh, examples like that. So celebrating the impact in education, uh, seeing how it's made a difference to people in this country that are so desperately in need but how it's actually created jobs, how it's made people look after the environment better. Uh, so much that we can celebrate as a program, but also the impact. So we're hoping that on that day, we would have senior government officials present. We would have some of our best, uh, not best, uh, all of our uh, causes are uh, good and best for us because they're very close to our heart, but some of the causes present on the day to also just receive acknowledgement for the work they've been doing. Uh, 
I know that we work very closely with a number of early childhood centers, and we've recently done three uh, great R classrooms uh, in a school. And what a fantastic uh, feeling when you go back there and you see 60 little children having great foundation learning happening. And we're actually going to be hosting it at that school crystal house here in the Western Cape in South Africa. And uh, yeah, it's just such a great privilege to have been able to be part of this journey of making a difference in South Africa. And that's our purpose, is making a difference in the lives of South Africans. And I know with the team, that is what we live for every single day, is to make an impact. So we celebrate 25 years of impact this year. So it's a great, great opportunity. How wonderful to wake up every morning and go to work knowing that your work is making an impact and has been doing so for 25 years. Fantastic. So thank you very much, Peter Twine. It's been a privilege to chat to you and thank you for sharing so much. Peter Twine, General Manager of My School, My Village, My Planet. This show is sponsored by The Loyalty People, a global strategic consultancy with a laser focus on loyalty, CRM and customer engagement. The Loyalty People work with clients in lots of different ways, whether it's the strategic design of your loyalty program or a full service, including loyalty project execution. And they can also advise you on choosing the right technology and service partners. On their website, the Loyalty People also runs a free global community for loyalty practitioners. And they also publish their own loyalty expert insights. So for more information and to subscribe, check out theloyaltypeople.global. so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.